Hey everybody, it's Brian. Thanks for tuning in. If you're ready to buy or sell a home in Pierce, South King, or Snohomish County, please check out John Hurlbutt and his team at Altitude Homes. John's an old friend and someone I know you can trust. He will also donate $500 to Ben's Fund for every closed transaction. I know how hard it is to find a real estate agent who has your best interests in mind. John can be that guy for you and benefit a great cause to boot. Check them out now on the web at altitude-re.com slash HB. Again, altitude-re.com slash HB. Or call them at 253-222-2626. That's 253-222-2626. Go Hawks. everybody, welcome to Real Hawk Talk. It's Brian Nemhauser, and uh, we've got Hawk Barker crew with us today. We've got Jeff Simmons, we've got Nathan Ernst, and uh, good to see you guys again. Yeah. Yeah, man. Good to be here. Yeah, there's a lot to talk about this week. Yes, there is. Yes, there is. Um, where do you want to get started? Well, do you just see Doug on CNN? I did. I did. Yeah. So um, for folks that don't know, um, CNN was hosting a town hall tonight. I had no idea about it. I just, I'm traveling. If you can't tell behind me, I'm in San Francisco and uh, turned on the TV while I was eating dinner and Anderson Cooper was, was holding a town hall, had Spike Lee, had Nate Boyer and a couple other folks, Heinz Ward, and uh, just talking about the issues around the protest and the president's comments, and um, it was interesting. And then toward the end, there was Doug Baldwin and Mike Bennett that they called in and, and uh, had them um, share some of their points of view from the VMAC, and uh, it's a really divisive topic. And uh, you know, I've got a, a, a bunch of thoughts. I wrote about it a little bit this weekend, before I start rambling too much farther on that, um, Jeff, you're a Canadian, so I'd be interested in you know your what this seems like to you uh, from a little bit of uh, of distance. Yeah, I bet Luke Wilson and John Ryan are probably going through a kind of a strange spot right now, where they're they're not involved with the politics. Yes, they live in the states, they work in the states, but this isn't something they grew up. Canada is such a peaceful place. And it's such a safe place to live and weather where I live in Toronto is so diverse and it's so multicultural and it's got so many different, different communities and everyone kind of acts as one. It's hard for me to relate to what's goes on for someone like what Doug was explaining or what Michael Bennett was explaining and definitely what happened with Michael Bennett in Vegas. So I'm very open-minded to this kind of thing. I'm very willing to, I'm not said in my ways. I'm very willing to listen to what Doug has to say or what Sherman was saying today at his press conference. And, I'm intrigued the way the team was able to come together. And I don't know if you saw that Clemco article in MMQB on SI, where this week Russell came out and Russell really took the lead on this. And he's kind of been a really measured guy. And so I'm all for team unity. I'm all for the message that Pete Carroll sent on Twitter on Saturday really inspired me. I think of all the messages I saw, whether it was from teams or different statements, I think Pete nailed it better than anyone. So 
I'm all for something that really pushes this peaceful protest. And I've, I don't have an issue with anyone taking a stand against any anthem because I think what they're doing is for the greater good. And I was very inspired by kind of how the Seattle players have kind of bonded together through this. How about you, Nathan? Yeah. I mean, uh, I think it's just a great opportunity to listen. Um, it's not a new one, right? Kaepernick's been doing this for, or, or was doing this for, you know, all of last year. Um, I get that it's divisive. It's supposed to be divisive. It's supposed to make you mad. It's supposed to make you think. And so if you are mad and, you know, you're thinking about boycotting or, or whatever, um, or if you, you know, or, or just don't, don't agree with kneeling during the anthem, just, you know, I'd say take the opportunity to listen. Uh, I think Sherm said today, you know, that if you don't like, then, you know, maybe look at fixing the problems that they're talking about. And so I would just encourage, you know, people to, to look at that and see how, uh, see what they're, what they're talking about, see why, you know, they feel so strongly about it to the point that they would do something like this. Yeah, I, um, like a lot of issues, I tend to be a moderate in a lot of things and see multiple sides. And I think a lot of us do and or at least try to, um, hopefully. And I've been pretty vocal, even within my own household, I've had some arguments about this and um, friends of mine. I I never liked the, the, the protest. Uh, I, I really believe in and what it means to stand up for our flag and, and what that represents. And uh, I think we're incredibly fortunate to have the, the freedoms that we do. And I really respect the sacrifices that were made to, to give us those freedoms. Um, and the reason I get frustrated is because I, more than more than caring about that, I care about the inequality and injustices that are going on and absolutely believe that they're real and that are hard to solve and going to take a lot of work. Part of what gets me worked up the most is that I don't think this protest is helping that in the way it should. Where a year later, almost all the conversation is about whether it's okay to protest the flag. It's about the protest. It's not about the issue. The amount of the conversation around the issue, honestly, um, tonight in the CNN thing, most of the conversation was about whether it's okay to protest the flag. It wasn't until Doug came on. Doug was the first person that said, you know, specific things to do. We should be funding our police force to be better prepared and better trained to handle these situations and have enough force, uh, have enough uh, troops and have enough um, resources to not feel as in danger and to know how to handle these things in a better way. We should invest in schools, help kids and other people understand how to work with law enforcement and build those bridges. Doug and the team, I mean, they've been working behind the scenes with the state of Washington for this entire time, um, looking for solutions, working with law enforcement and working with the government to find things. That I believe in. That's about taking action to change and improve the situation kneeling and, and making a statement against the flag that the, that the country is the problem, I think that's a distraction. And I think it's an imperfect imperfection that was crafted by a guy, frankly, that I don't think I have a ton of respect for. I know that Colin Kaepernick has become um, a symbol of this movement. And, you know, I think he was an imperfect symbol as a head of a, as you know, the leader of his team, kissing his bicep and, 
you know, kissing it uh, in front of his own sports car and posting those things on Instagram. I don't think this guy is necessarily the right person to be the head of that movement, but he is. And I think he picked an imperfect protest to move this conversation forward. So if he had done exactly, I hate to say it because I'm not a Jerry Jones fan. If he had done exactly what um, Jerry Jones and the Cowboys did, which was kneel before the anthem, you know, if the whole team or multiple guys did that and then stood during it, place right now. Um, and I think maybe we'd have me having more conversation about that. Maybe I'm naive. Maybe it needs to be this controversial. Um, but I'm frustrated by the, the distraction that I think that the, the protest has become. Yeah, I mean, there's no perfect protest. And, and the point of any protest is to make people uncomfortable. Um, and, you know, you could go back into the civil rights movements and, you know, people were saying similar things that I don't think these protests help the cause. Um, and, you know, maybe this one is flawed. Uh, maybe it is too divisive, but uh, protests where that hasn't been the complaint. And so you, you have to, um, you can't make people comfortable if you're trying to protest something and make change. It's just how, unfortunately, how it is. And unfortunately, a big part of just how the world is today is there's kind of a mob mentality. Maybe that's not the best term, but people are always talking about, they're always ganging up and causing what they will admit what the issues, but no one's ever coming up with solutions. And what Doug said was a perfect example of that because Doug came out and offered legitimate solutions that were, you go, you can go on Twitter for any issue. People are always just bullying people and ganging up against something maybe that was said that everyone doesn't agree with. But how often are these people trying to solve the problems? Or is it, it's easy for everyone to just pile on and make themselves look good, but are they really trying to solve the problems? And that's the thing that bothers me in so many areas outside of this specific issue. And what Brian said was ranting. It's, a, it's another perfect example of this. <clears throat> yeah, and, you know, we would definitely – I know a lot of people are exhausted of this topic and want yeah. to talk just to talk, and we'll get to that in a second here. I, I, uh, I am. I mean, I'm concerned about what this is going to mean. I, I'm concerned about what it means for our country, first and foremost, in terms of, you know, citizens that are being, um, you know, mistreated and don't feel safe and um, have children or husbands or wives, brothers and sisters and mothers and fathers that um, are being mistreated and how we solve that. I mean, that's issue number one, for sure. Um, I'm concerned about the fact that, you know, this is, it's one of those things where uh, we're having another reason to be divided as a country. And um, that's a huge issue that just continues to, there's just a lot of polarization happening across all parts of society. And uh, one of the things I've written about before that I love about sports, I love about it, is that it unites across all boundaries, all race, all religion, all political um, divides. When you put on a Seahawks jersey and you look and you see someone, you see another brother, another sister, um, you know, of your team. And you just forget the other stuff for a little while and you focus on being part of something together. And we're losing that right now. And that's something I hope is not lost in an ongoing basis. But recent history suggests this could be a lasting division where being pro football is being anti-Republican or anti-Trump and, you know, setting my political beliefs aside, that's just a shame. 
um, you know, I, I hope that's not where this ends up leading. Yeah, I think I think you said that well, and I think I, we could go on for this for for hours, but I imagine the people here do want to talk Seahawks, so maybe we should start to transition the conversation. Let's do it. Yeah, that was very inspiring, obviously, but the Seahawks came off a very strange game for them. The first half looked like the classic Seahawks game where they can't get their feet going on offense, but they're doing crazy good on defense. Tennessee can't run for anything. They finally get together in that two-minute drill, and once you think they figured it out, Tennessee moves down the field and kicks a field goal. It's like the prototypical Seahawks game. We've all seen that game a million times before. The second half goes completely bonkers. The defense can't stop anyone. They're, they, they're getting blown up on big plays. They, the run defense totally collapses. They get a huge deficit, and all of a sudden the offense out of nowhere explodes. They pull the game back, and it's pretty much the exact opposite of the first half. So I, I don't know if which one of you guys wants to start, but what do you take away from that game? Because there are so many ups and downs and so many – the offense and defense totally flipped. What was your number one impression from that game and moving forward? Go ahead, Nathan. I almost just want to throw the game out. Um, <laughs> I mean, there was – Do we get to go back to one-on-one? Well, yeah, I mean, that'd be all right. Uh, we can throw the <laughs> loss out too, for sure. Uh, no, but, like, uh, there was good stuff for the offense to build on. There was stuff that's legitimately concerning about the defense, but, like, um, the heat for one, they're always bad in the heat. Um, I, I guess I'm basing that off the, the Chargers game a couple of years ago when they, <laughs> they had a similar showing, you know, but like that, uh, DeMarco Murray touchdown, they literally got a, like one fingertip on him. Ha, I can't think of any other play like that in the Pete Carroll era. Like that was such a, you, uh, I, I never want to go there with this stuff, but when I watched it, it looked like the defense had quit. They were just like, it's 108 degrees, and this offense can't do anything. Screw this. I mean, and, and that wasn't the case. I mean, they battled for it, but uh, uh, it was so weird. Um, I, I don't know how much you can really take away from it. It's a good team on the road. The heat was a factory. They didn't look like themselves. Um, they're still having weird stuff on offense where they can't click. I just don't know what to really take away from the game. Brian, how about you? Um, I mean, <laughs> where to start? I, look, I, well, the, the number one thing I'm frustrated about with, with the team is – they have shown a propensity for multiple years, not just this, this season or just this game, of turning it on when their backs are against the wall. And all of us, we've seen it happen where, you know, they're down by 28 points in Carolina, and then all of a sudden the second half they score all these points. Or, you know, they're down to their last chance in Chicago and they engineer a comeback, and they're down by a bunch in Atlanta and they come – like. That happens over and over and over again. And on one hand, you can say, oh, yeah, the defense completely changes, and that's why it happens. I'm sure that's part of it, but I can't imagine that every one of these teams and every one of these situations are the reason that it's not something about 
way I kind of described it in my column was it's like a closer in baseball in a non-save situation. And it's, you know, you put those players in that moment where they're used to having the adrenaline and they're used to being as sharp and as focused as possible. And uh, they just fall apart if they don't have that. They, you know, their ERAs go through the roof. So I feel like that happens a little bit. I feel like the team needs to have some more urgency. And I start from a responsibility and accountability standpoint with Pete Carroll. Yeah. You know, he, he espouses from the moment he's been here and he loves, it's not about what you do in the first quarter. You can't win in the first quarter. You can't win in the second quarter. You know, it's not how you start. It's how you finish bullshit. Like every statistic shows different. It is absolutely how you start and how you finish. It is great that he's engendering this, uh, this appeal of let's be a team that never counts itself out and can come back from anything. That's great but that does not obviate you of the responsibility of starting fast. Like that's crap. So worked pretty well in the Denver Super Bowl, right? Right. I mean, they, they've, I mean, for all their games, like yeah. they've, they, he has got to amend his philosophy. It starts there before I talk about any of the players or any of the coordinators, it starts with Pete. He's got to determine that it's an important thing for that team to start better. It's affected seasons. It's affected games enough already like it's got to change you think there's any chance that he does that though well i i will tell you one thing i don't get a chance to talk to him <laughs> that often but i get a chance to talk to him about once a year at least and <laughs> this is absolutely the topic i'm going to be pushing so if i have any chance of influencing i'm going to try to do it and i will be as passionate as i can be and as respectful as i can be he does listen it's yeah it's hard to argue with that He's, he's, uh, he feels, uh, I don't know, uh, as much as I love Pete, the one thing I don't have a lot of faith in him is to make major, major changes to his like fundamental philosophies. He's so, um, he's all about his core principles and knowing himself and, and he believes he has a way to win and, and he's been successful in it too, right? Like, as much as we want to be frustrated about this, they've been a very good team. Even last year, they were a good team with all the problems they had. Um, so I agree that there's a lot of things that you kind of, you know, uh, we got to adapt. They got to, they got to get better. They got to, uh, I'm not going to hold my breath on Pete making any significant changes to how he. No, it's, it's totally fair, and it's, it's just frustrating that they can never come out of the game with a great offensive drive to start. When was the last time they did that? It's always Atlanta sluggish. Year. Yeah, mm-hmm. Atlanta in the playoff game, the playoff game. Yeah, mm-hmm. they went right downhill after that, after that penalty. But, yeah, you're right. It's just every week – for me, the biggest takeaway, and I don't know if you guys felt this, there's a ton of frustration in so many different areas, but for me it was jealousy. I was jealous of Tennessee. That's what Seattle used to look like, man. They used to they had those two offensive tackles that just beat the hell out of people up front. They can run the ball. They were committed to it. It totally wore Seattle down in the second half. They had a quarterback playing the old Russell Wilson mode where he can move him around comfortably. He was efficient. He wasn't taking chances. They had a clear identity of how they want to win, and it worked. And it was obviously I'm jealous of the offensive tackles. Seattle, we'll get into that later. That's a whole other issue, but. Seattle three games in, it's a small sample size. I thought the preseason would be more of an indicator because they looked fantastic. But I, I can't – there's nothing consistent about this team right now from game to game to game. And whether it's the pass rush that hasn't showed up since the first half in that Green Bay game, 
the run defense that's fallen apart. The passing game is totally up and down. The, the linebacker play was a mess this week. KJ Wright was up and down, and the heat might have been a big factor. It's just right now there's zero consistency at any level. So it's right now – I don't know if I'd agree with with that notion. I I, I know where you're sure. coming from, but I, I I see there's consistency in a couple of places. I think the pass defense has been really consistent. I think the coverage has been, I would yeah. say, great um, to this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, I also say that the offensive line being pretty crappy has been consistent. Um, <laughs> and Always. I, I think we'll talk about. It, I know in a bit here. I, I think it's yeah. improving but it's been consistently below what it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, I th- think Doug Baldwin has been consistent and when given the opportunity has done a lot with his, his chances. Um, so I, I, I do, I, I think Chris Carson has been consistent uh, yeah. when, when given the chances, I think there's, so I know you were, you're talking at a higher well, level. I'm not talking from a personnel standpoint because those are good points. I'm talking from a team standpoint. Yeah. I think Every that's fair. Part, it seems like their strength flips or their weakness flips. Baldwin, uh, Baldwin played maybe the best game he's ever played. Maybe that Pittsburgh game a couple years ago when he really broke out. But on Sunday, Baldwin was as good as I've ever seen him. He was open all game. He had 10 catches. Even if he didn't get hurt, he could have had 15 catches for 200 yards. He was open that much. But the big guy that none of us have touched on yet, and it's been a very polarizing topic on Twitter because no one was more up and down in this game than Russell Wilson. And Russell right now, when he's locked in, like he was in the fourth quarter last week, he's as good as any player in the league. And it, But the first halves of every game this season, and maybe more the second half of the San Francisco game, until he gets into this mode where he locks in and he looks unstoppable, he's been all over the map this year. There's been quarters where he's looked fantastic, and then there's plays where Nathan points out a bunch of videos on Twitter and there's screenshots and we've all seen these where he's missing throws and yes, his offensive line stinks. We, we all know this caveat. It makes it so much harder to play, but he's missing a ton of throws that a star quarterback can't miss. There was one early in the first half. Uh, The one that really got me this week was that Doug Baldwin one in the first quarter. Doug Baldwin's wide open streaking down the field. The guy's got a clean, perfect pocket. And Russell overthrows him. He missed Lockett in the Green Bay game on a very similar play. I don't know where you guys want to start with this because this is such a polarizing topic right now. Where are you on Russell Wilson? And is he playing well enough, even after that fourth quarter, that you're comfortable with him just as the guy that you're – that he can be that MVP kind of player that he really was two years ago? you? Um, his accuracy from for basically the entire Niner game and then the first half of that Tennessee game, he was scattershot. I mean, he was everywhere. Um, the ball and miss wasn't – I think maybe he thought Doug was going to drift a little bit. And maybe it makes it look a little worse. Um, but, I mean, he missed him. He missed Doug again later. He missed Preach. I mean, he's had just some awful throws. And so from that perspective, you know, for that stretch, he was – I mean, that was bad. It was really bad. He couldn't hit people. Um, but then there's also, like, is he missing open guys? Like, is he visually missing guys, right? Is he miss- making the wrong reads? Is he just not seeing when people are open or, or recognizing, you know, the, the, the space he has to throw? I think 
probably hasn't changed a lot from where he ever was, which um, people have a ton of different opinions on where he's ever been, right? Um, uh, but I, I think um, I think that part is getting overblown. Um, but those accuracy issues were real, and it was good to see him play a really clean second half from that perspective. He played pretty good. He hit those, those overthrows and stuff weren't an issue. Yeah, I think that's that's right, Nathan, on a lot of fronts. And and Nathan is our is our balanced, uh, you know, wise sage uh, film analyst. It's not so, great that I'm the balanced right. guy. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's maybe... <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish CJ Tamburello uh, could have been on tonight because um, I know CJ's got a lot of strong points of view on this. And um, I don't think I can properly represent all those points of view, but I know a lot of people feel like, hey, Russell, Russell is being asked to do things that are impossible behind uh, a terrible offensive line, the worst offensive line in the league. Um, they're giving up pressure on almost every play. He's having to do crazy things just to, you know, stay afloat. And, you know, you can't, you can't blame the guy if he has some miscues um, because uh, of those situations, because of what he's dealing with. I think that there's a contingent of folks that feel strongly about that. And I think there's truth in some of those things. Where I was pounding tables on Sunday were things that I don't really believe have anything to do with the offensive line. Um, I will disagree with you, Jeff, in the, in the Green Bay game, the throw to Lockett. He had a Packer bearing down on him, and it was a harder throw for him to make um, to, to actually Lockett target that one up. That one too. It was frustrating, but I got it's it. brought back memories of that Green Bay game last year too. Yeah. But, yeah, Green Bay last year, he definitely had some missed yeah. ones. But um, – that throw to Doug in the in the first quarter, first I think it was the first drive, maybe even inexcusable. There's no way that a quarterback with his caliber, with the kind of pocket he had, whether or not he thought Doug was going to be going one direction or the other, like there's no way Doug was going to be going straight up the field from where he was. That was just a horrible throw. It wasn't close, and Russell's had a tendency to be high um, early in games. Sometimes that's a that's a technique thing. That's things that can, should be able to be done about that. There's a play later where, um, you know, uh, there was a, a bobbled snap. Or it wasn't a bobbled snap. It was a bad snap from Britt on the ground. Russell picks it up, has the whole world on him in like a second, you know, and there's nothing he can do about it. He's going to get sacked. But as he goes down, he tries to throw it straight up into the air. I mean, there was zero chance of anything productive coming out of it. He fumbled that ball, and he was incredibly fortunate that the refs had already called him, whistled him down. That should have been a fumble. That should have been Tennessee ball inside the 15. That would have ended the game right there. It was 6 nothing at that point. There was no excuse for him to be making an irresponsible decision like that. I don't care how you know, great he is at improvising. There was no chance of success there. He's got to be smart enough to not do that. Later in the game, you know, he missed Doug Ball went high again on a third down that would have led to a field goal. He, you know, um, on the um, play where he dropped straight back on and, and got sacked or intentional grounding, I'm not the film buff. You know, I watch these things enough, so I have some instincts about it, but I don't claim to be an expert. 
it sure looked to me like Russell never recognized that there was a blitzer coming and never adjusted protection as a result. And Chris Carson was to his left and didn't come across the formation and pick up that blocker. And Russell didn't seem to expect it and just retreated straight back. I saw at least two mistakes on that play. That was a huge play in the game. You know, these are things that, that that's not about the offensive line. Um, him getting sacked, sure, that, that, that's their, their problem. That, that's them. Him deciding to, after he getting sacked, take that chance, that's on him. And where I will continue to be different, I think, than a lot of people on the Russell is a golden god side of this is I have the belief that he can be better than he is. I think he can be the best quarterback in the game. When I criticize him for things that he's not doing well, it's not because I don't like him or don't want him to succeed. It's because I think he has more headroom. I think he can get better. And you have to understand what you're not doing well in order to get better. And, you know, I think people are lying to themselves that they think he's perfect. Um, he's just not. And I'm hopeful that he's now found a rhythm. He's playing the worst pass defense in, you know, the NFL this week. You know, let's 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 see him start stringing it together and, and be the player he needs to be, that the team needs yeah. him. And I think people need to understand this, that just the offensive – you can also think that the offensive line is bad and at the same time that Russell needs to play better. Just because you think one doesn't mean make the other not true. You can't – those thoughts don't need to counteract each other all the time. And the thing – there's a lot of points in there that you made that I definitely agree with you on. And one of the things with me is for sure is my expectations for Russell are really high. And maybe that 2015 season presented an unfair expectation because he played so well that second half. And we kind of, we all want to see that come back. And you saw that glimpse in the fourth quarter of the guy he was last week, but there's just way too many plays where he's making basic mistakes that a great quarterback can't. And that's what frustrates me. And that's where I get a little irritated because yeah, in the first week of the season, it's clear it's the offensive line. He had no chance. You, I don't think anyone could blame him for the most part on that game. But if you really look at the film this week and you really, yeah, there's a lot of pressure allowed. There's still too much pressure allowed from the tackles. But we mentioned there's so many missed throws. There was that one high on the sideline when there's no one near him in the first quarter. He skied the throw. There was one where it was a third and nine. I think there was a slant open, a Doug Baldwin in the middle of the field, a basic throw. He was way out in front of him. And these are third downs. This team relies so much on third down conversions based on how they run their offense, how they slow play everything. There's just way too many basic mistakes combined with the greatness. What I'm looking for is more consistency. And Brian mentioned this with the coaching earlier. This is a big coaching issue, I believe, but it's been a consistent thing with Russell. And I know the team, we talked about this week, the team has that slow play idea. You win the fourth quarter. But it takes, I don't know if Russell's too amped up to start the game which is kind of strange given his personality that he seems always level-headed, but it takes him way too long to get into that mode where it's either that two minute drill or the end of the half or the end of the fourth quarter where he's hitting on all cylinders. There's just way too much erratic play. And there's one play that like, I don't know if this is on the coaches or this on Russell. Someone, one of you guys might know better than this right before the play takes the grounding. Russell calls a timeout there, right as the clock's running down. I don't know if that's called in from the headset. I don't know if that's on the sideline. You guys might know it's better than me, but if that's on Russell, that's a massive gaffe. That timeout ended up as a huge factor. Things like basic situational awareness, not knowing when to throw the ball away. 
Russell, again, makes a ton of great plays, but we just want to see, rather than the up and down, more of a straight line because that's how good he is and that's how good he should be with all these targets. And I know the offensive line stinks. We all know this, but he's got he's to play better. It's as simple as that. Yeah, yeah. And uh, let's start opening up to questions here in a second. Uh, um, uh, the thing I'd say on that is – the offensive line first game was not something that any quarterback could have yeah. produced behind period. It was tire fire, Put almost none of the um, responsibility on Russell for that game. Mm-hmm. Second game offensive line was a little bit better. I thought Russell was not his greatest. I didn't think he was terrible, but I don't think he was as good as this game. I think there were some throws that, that, that were there to be made and if people want to know like the what I'm expecting of him, I'm expecting that he eventually is like Drew Brees or Aaron Rodgers or some of these other players, maybe not in all the same skill set, but if he's got a clean pocket and he's got an open player, instantly hit those throws. I think he has the physical skills. I think he's got the work ethic to improve. I think that he should be able to pre-snap read to be able to anticipate who's going to be open before the ball snapped more often than I think he does. And so, yeah, I don't see situations where I, I've watched a bunch of games of Drew Brees playing or Aaron Rodgers or, you know, Tom Brady's the best ever. So maybe that's not a fair one, but um, I don't see those guys have games where they're way off and, you know, for quarters at a time, uh, maybe a throw is off, but, those guys are dialed in and they're pros what they've done and they've learned it. Matt Ryan, same way. If you're asking me, do I think Russell Wilson can be as good as Matt Ryan? Hell yeah, I absolutely do. So um, that's, that's what I'm looking for. I mean, something to keep in mind there though, is like, you know, you compared him to, and that's the, that's Mr. R E L A X, right? I mean, they were, uh, they were so bad. I think, two years ago too, but last year too, I mean, it looked like McCarthy was going to get fired. Um, and, you know, Drew Brees, uh, same kind of thing. You know, he's had years where he's thrown 30 picks. Um, and all three of those together, Hall of Fame quarterbacks. And I'm all for holding the rest of that standard because I totally agree that he's – wait, I said uh, – Drew Brees has not thrown 30 picks. I was off on that. But he's had some years where he's thrown 19, 20 picks. You know, he's gotten up there. Um, yeah. They're, they're not machines, and they've had bad years, and uh, and I'm all for holding them to a Hall of Fame standard, but I think it's just, you know, I think sometimes it's, I don't know. I, I don't think people, uh, people get upset because uh, you don't hear that part of it, that, you know, you're, the baseline here is greatness. I think that's fair. Um, so, Jeff, how about we uh, start taking a few questions before we turn transition to some of our other topics. Um, yeah, I, sure. I see Jose. Um, so we got, we got Janae going on with uh, patrons and uh, people want to know how they can become a patron and be able to get, get in the hangout. Um, go to patreon.com. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash hawklogger. Sign up there and um, you'll be able to get access to these Q&As um, over time. Um, so let's go ahead and Jose, you're gonna have to unmute yourself, but um, you're welcome to ask your questions that uh, I know you have. Hello. Hey, Jose, go ahead. Hey, how are you? 
Awesome. Thank you, Jose. Thank I think you. I got both your questions. Um, so Jose was asking two things. One, what does our running back depth look like without CJ Procise? Uh, Nathan, maybe you want to take that one. And then second one is, when are we going to bench Jeremy Lane in favor of Shaquille Griffin? Uh, Jeff, why don't you take that one? Sure. Nathan, why don't you start with the CJ question? Procise, I mean, you're just going to see more rolls, right? Um, and that, that could be interesting. It, it'll actually, uh, it'll be really interesting how they approach this because Carson's the best back of, on this team. Um, he's the best runner. Um, he's probably the best pass catcher, um, even better than CJ there. Um, Rawls is obviously more the pure runner. So how they decide to balance this, um, to uh, lean on Carson more as a receiving back um, and get Rawls more involved running the ball if, if it's going to lead them to pound the ball more, um, which I don't think is uh, the right thing for this team. Um, it, it, the, the running back depth situation is okay. They've got McKissick, they've got Lacey. So they've still got four, four guys there that can play. Um, CJ out of the equation does um, from a run pass balance is to me what's really interesting and just how Seattle will it'll play into some of Seattle's worst tendencies where they keep trying to establish the run and they keep getting tackled for losses and and, and just not really getting much going in there. Jeff, before we get into you answering the second question, I want to spend a more time on this one. Um, is, what's sure. your expectation on on so, so Nathan, kind of the implication there was that Rawls would take over Procise's snaps, third down snaps. I've seen that from a couple folks today. Yeah. Is that your expectation, or do you maybe think that they might bring J.D. McKissick up on the active roster and he might take those snaps from Procise? Yeah, that is more my expectation. I think almost Carson's going to get more snaps out of this. I think Carson has showed surprisingly good receiving skills. You saw in that touchdown last week he had, it was, he was very smooth. But I think the most part, they like having that prototypical third down back that they can use as a pass catcher out of the backfield. And I think they kept McKissick on the roster for one reason, process insurance. And I think that's exactly why they have him. Clearly, at first, we all thought it might have been to do returns while Lockett was transitioning back. But he wasn't active from game one. And I think they know process is fragile. They know he's been not been durable. This is why he made the roster. And whether or not that's the most logical move, that's up for debate. But I think that's how the team envisions his role. Pete mentioned him today pretty clearly as a guy who's going to get more snaps. And I think it's going to be mostly Carson, maybe a mix in Rawls as a change of pace there. But I think the third down back is McKissick. Yeah, I have to admit, that's who I'm hoping that they use there. Not Nothing against Thomas Rawls, but I think what they're looking for there is someone who can run receiver routes. Um, exactly. It's a clear and fine role. I think McKissick also something that people don't think don't know about is look, Dude McDonald's out with the ACL. That was a huge loss that, you know, people won't, most people won't talk about, but there's special teams. He's a great special teams player. 
They've been down DJ Alexander and Nico Thorpe, two big special teams players. J.D. McKissick's a really good special teams player, not only as a returner, but he was a great coverage guy. And I think that bringing him up makes a lot of sense. I don't see a role for Lacey. I just don't. I, I think he no. goes back to inactive, and he's going to have to deal with that for the time being. Um, I think McKissick looked pretty explosive. I think he could be a really interesting addition to the offense if, if they're able to get him the ball. Um, and we'll, we'll kind of see how that goes. Um, yeah, I just – What about – I wonder if – Yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was going to say, I wonder if Carson catches the ball well enough that they're not going to be looking or worried too much about filling that part of process's role. And, and then you get Rawls involved. But there's, there's a lot of ways they could go with this. It's true. I, I definitely thought about that as well. Um, so the other question Jose had was around – is, Lane when, Griffin. is Jeremy Lane going down and Shaquille Griffin going up? What's, what's your thought on that, Jeff? I know it's your dream scenario, Brian. But <laughs> honestly, I, I, don't feel, I don't see them making changes for a while. Jeremy Lane hasn't been an issue at all this season. He got kicked out of that green bane on an egregious penalty. You didn't see anything in the San Francisco game. You didn't see anything in the Tennessee game. He missed some tackles, and Shaq's been fantastic in relief. Every time he stepped on the field, he's been really good. But I think they're very happy with their setup right now where they're going to be playing a ton of nickel defense this season. Shaq's going to get a ton of snaps. They're not going to force him into action. And then maybe towards the end of the season or next season, you transition him into that full-time starter. And I think Lane is used this year as a one-year stopgap. And I think they're very happy with their setup right now, especially where they don't have a ton of depth right now with Thorpe injured and they didn't keep Pierre Desir. And I, th I think that's how they're going to keep the situation going. Yeah, they're going to see Pierre this year this weekend. Uh, yeah. <laughs> played re reasonably well for the Colts. Um, what about uh, Nathan? I don't know if, if you have thoughts on. I know we've, you and I have drooled over Shaq for a while now. Um, uh, would you think that they're going to move, make a move at some point and push him ahead of Lane? Sure. I mean. I think he's got to earn it. Um, and I don't mind them slow playing it. I don't, I don't think Lane's been a problem. Um, oh, and you see Griffin, he's making rookie mistakes. Um, you know, he's not ready to go 100%. Like, he's not a vet. So, um, him, it's three games. Uh, but I, I could definitely see him getting in there and, and winning this job at some point. Yeah, so I'll go on the island here. You know, I think they're making a mistake. I absolutely think they're making a mistake by not having Griffin over Lane. Um, you know, I've got a number of cases in point, but I'm just going to go with one of them, which is they're not, they're still not creating turnovers. They got two turnovers through three games. When I see Shaq out there, I see a guy who is actually has the ability and the anticipation and um, the athletic skills to make those plays. The, the case in point I'm talking about is when he went after the ball late in that game, missed it, the guy caught it, and he still was able to drag him down by his jersey. To be able to fire gun, go after the ball, not get it, and still make that tackle – doesn't happen for a lot of corners like there's there's a lot of things that have to be going on they have to be thinking ahead they have to have the hand-eye coordination to 
you know, adjust after they miss. They have to have the awareness that the guy's going and that there's no one behind him. They have to have the hand strength to bring him down by the jersey. Like, there's a lot to that play. And I'm not saying it was an all-world play because obviously he didn't make the pick. But it allowed him to, to be able to make that attempt because he has that confidence and that ability to recover from those, those misses. And Lane coming anywhere near making those kind of plays right now. You know, his best plays are when he's in close coverage. Um, I don't think he's, I don't think he's dominant enough physically to be able to, uh, get ahead of those throws and, and make better plays. So, um, I know I've been pretty consistent on, uh, my Shaq Griffin love and my Jeremy Lane tepid point of view, but, uh, that continues today. Uh, let's go to Colin Lundstrom, uh, one of our other patrons, Colin, um, let me, Get you onto stage here. Uh, go ahead. Thanks. Um, I have a question about kind of team philosophy, and I'm just thinking about. I'm curious if you guys think is it hard for GMs and coaching staff to change their philosophy based on what they see from personnel? And I guess I'm thinking about. With with the skill we see that Russell has, I know we talked kind of about some of the struggles Russell has had. With the skills that we clearly see, um, you know, and I don't think the Titans were slowing down. They still had blitz packages against him late in the game. I mean, it wasn't just garbage stuff. So I'm curious if there's ever a point where you think Pete and John would say, you know what? Let's switch it up. Let's spend money on the O-line. It means we can't pay this linebacker. We can't pay this cornerback. Do teams switch philosophies like that? Because with this team, it's defense and running first. And, you know, maybe they tried that a little bit. They went after Lang. They didn't get him. So I'm just curious if that may be something that could happen. You know, there's kind of two ways to look at that. Um, and Jeff and Nathan, you can jump in here as well, but I don't know that it would necessarily have to be a philosophical change for them to shift where their money goes on the team. Uh, I think people are being a little bit too literal in their interpretation of how Pete's talked about that and just the general state of the way that the roster is constructed right now. If they had drafted um, all pro level, you know, potentially Hall of Fame level offensive linemen and receivers and running backs in the past few years, um, I think that you'd have a much more even spend on offense and defense, and maybe you would have had to let go some of the defensive players to keep. You know, if they had, if they had, you know, Taylor Lewin and Jack Conklin, <laughs> you know, instead yeah. of, uh, you know, Riso Diombo and, you know, uh, Jermaine Effetti. Yeah. I think that they'd spend money on those guys. Um, yeah. They did it for Justin Britt. So, I think some of it's just where they're hitting and where they haven't. Um, but if you're asking me, do I think that the, that Pete's going to change his philosophy and become an offensive coach and, you know, want to make sure that they're scoring points and not as worried about keeping people from scoring points? No, that's not going to happen. Um, gotcha. <laughs> uh, but I don't know, Jeff, Nathan, what do you guys think? Uh, yeah, I think we talk. Yeah, you can go. Go Nathan. ahead. Kind of mentioned this earlier. I, I think Pete's pretty uh, dead in the wool. I, I don't see him. He's an old dog. I don't see him changing his, his tone much. Uh, 
Yeah, I, I think Nathan's likely right. I think f- football coaches and football general managers, they're not stubborn per se, but they're so set in their philosophical beliefs and their beliefs of how they want to win and build a football team. John Schneider for years has been building a binder when he had all these interviews for a GM job of what he wants at every level of the football team. I know he's admitted multiple times that this wasn't their plan. It kind of just worked out that they had all these Hall of Fame caliber defensive players and they wanted to keep them. Yes, they've overlooked some veteran offensive linemen and the vet, the value of that. But I think there are so few examples of guys maybe changing their philosophy. Bill Belichick's the best in the world at it and because he does that. When he sees his personnel doesn't fit the way they want to play, sometimes they become a passing team. Sometimes they become a running team. Yeah, it helps to have Brady and Belichick running a team, but that's why he's been so successful for so long. Most coaches are probably more like Pete, where they know this is how we want to play. This has worked for me. I know Bruce Arians did the same thing. Bruce Arians had this quarterbacks go down a couple of years ago, and the guy was hawking the ball down the field with Ryan Lindley. It was ridiculous. No, any reasonable mind could have said there's no way you can win like that, but that's how football coaches are. That's how they're wired. And I said it last week. I, didn't, I don't think this personnel is best fit to play the way Pete wants to play. I think you got to play more of an open spread style because their best players outside of Russell are all the skill players. It's Baldwin. It's Lockett. It's Jimmy Graham. Chris Carson's been great, but they don't have a great run-blocking offensive line. They don't have a blocking tight end. So to expect them to all of a sudden be a great running team is probably a long shot. So unfortunately, I think this is what they're going to be. And I wish I could say they're going to make a change and play purely like they did in the fourth quarter, but that'd be a lie. Yeah. It's good. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, guys. Um, yeah, one of the things uh, that we'll fortunately be able to get into this very topic um, on one of our next shows is I just heard back from the Seahawks performance psychologist, uh, Michael Gervais. Oh, and uh, Michael and I have talked before, and uh, he's got a fantastic podcast if people haven't um haven't listened to it called finding mastery and he talks to people that have just, you know, led amazing lives and done amazing things and ask them from a psychology standpoint, um, how they did it, what they did to, to kind of realize that, um, mastery and whatever they, they do um, really fascinating stuff. And, uh, Michael's going to join our, our real Hawk talk and future. We'll figure out which episode that'll be. That's gonna be a fascinating conversation about, this very thing. How do you? He he knows Pete as well or better than anybody. Um, he works with the team from a performance standpoint about how they set vision, how they shape philosophy. When Pete says, you know, your words matter, and and the philosophy sets the course, and they're very specific and careful about the words they use. A lot of that comes from Michael, and so um, and that's gonna be a great conversation to kind of get into the depth of how you build an organization this way, and how you build a team, and and build a mentality. Um, to match what you what you believe. So um, that'll be a fun one coming up, uh, hopefully pretty soon. That sounds incredible. That's that's a great get, Brian. And you, uh, the players just or the coaches, whenever you hear about Michael, they just rave about the guy, and he's so unique to have that guy hanging around your organization. And it's gonna be it's gonna be an unreal experience for us to talk to him for sure. Yeah, he and his uh, he and his wife are both great, great people, smart, and um, uh, definitely recommend checking out that podcast. Um, 
All right, so I'm not seeing questions in the chat pod right now. What's next on our list, Jeff? I know we've got um, some stuff the, to go uh, through. The buy or sell, I remember you wanted to introduce that section. Oh, yeah. So uh, buy or sell, a segment we're going to do from now and, uh, now and then. Uh, this is brought to you by Steam Donkey Brewery, one of our great Hawk Blogger uh, sponsors. And if you're ever down in Aberdeen, Washington, be sure to check it out. They've got great brews. I wish I was there right now because I am brewless down in the Bay Area. But uh, Steam Donkey Brewery is great. Um, yeah, so what are we buying and selling today, Jeff? Wow. All right, I, I sent you a couple ideas. I, I sent you guys a couple ideas before the show, but one of them just came to mind. And it was an idea, actually, I wanted to touch on earlier in the show. And I know Davis Sue, if you guys follow him on Twitter, was tweeting some stuff out about this today. And Pro Football Focus agreed, agreed with Davis. Luke Jokel played really well in this game from a pass blocking perspective. Is this, are you buying or selling Jokel going forward? Because he was a disaster in the Green Bay game. Or is it just a one-off against an iffy defense? You start, Nathan. I'm going to sell that he's this good the rest of the year. I might buy that he can be a good player. Uh, he, you know, I, I think he was, uh, I think he got a little bit of a free, pa uh, free pass in the preseason. Um issues uh he he's had some rough games and so uh it was good to see him you know have a clean one um but i'm not quite ready to buy buy joke i'm not ready to, to lock him up for four more years or anything i am a hard sell <laughs> <laughs> i i do not believe uh i i would like to and it's going to take a number of good games um, for me to believe that Luke Jokel is someone I want on this team past this season and the ridiculous contract that they're paying him. Yeah, uh, that's all. That's all fair. I just want to say he had he had great tape this week, and I know we need to see consistency. That's the biggest thing. But really, outside of Britt, we haven't seen a tape like that almost the last three years since Unger and Carpenter and Okung and Sweezy were here. So at least. Finally, there was some progress, but yeah, we, we all agree. We need to see more. All right, the next one on the list is obviously a big topic this week, the run defense. The run defense has given up a ton of gashing plays and started with Carlos Hyde in that San Francisco game, and they totally broke down after a ridiculously good first half. Do you see this as a recurring problem going forward? And I know people have mentioned that they don't have quite the size. Ruben's not here this year. They've gone a little lighter. Or is this just a stretch where there's been heat or just a couple of assignment mistakes or is this a problem? Uh, I'll, I'll take that one first. We can rotate back and forth. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I, so, so, so wait, restate the question. Am I buying if I say that? that Are you uh, buying it's a real problem? Oh, am I buying it's a real problem? So I guess I'm selling. Think that they're gonna. I think they're gonna address this. I think they've shown in the past. Pete really understands the fundamentals of of defense in general, but run fits. He's been able to correct these mistakes before. Um, we've seen these things pop up from time to time. There are a few new parts um, in the machine, and so I am mostly believing that they're going to correct these problems. Uh, that's the primat. Yeah, I'm selling too. I mean, 
Tennessee, well, so the two last week, um, one was a bad assignment, one was a missed tackle. Um, and then Tennessee, this is what they want to do to you. This is their sole purpose in life is to run the ball on you. They're exotic smash mouths. And, you know, they've got a good mobile quarterback. They've got a pretty creative playbook. They've got two really good running backs. They've, you know, we talked about their off the tackles and their offensive line. Um, this team is built to run. Um, now, it was catastrophic. Um, and I think the Heat had something to do with that. Um, so I, I, I'm just not, I, I'm not too concerned. The only thing though, they're light, um, both like depth wise and just like literally they don't weigh a lot at defensive tackle. Um, Sheldon's a little light. They got, they got uh, Garrison Smith now. Um, their rotational depth there is a little concerning to me. The only way I can see this really continuing is if they can't rotate guys enough and they get and guys get beaten down. Um, which with the way this offense is going is certainly possible. Um, but that's, that, that feels very small to me and I'm just not too worried about it. I, I, I agree. I think the first half really was the team you should really expect. And I think the heat and the, the physical play, you're not going to see Lewin and Conklin every week. And, this is a great test because Indianapolis is missing Ryan Kelly, their, set, their Pro Bowl caliber center. They are, they're not a great offensive line. I fully expect the, the, deep, the run defense to, to come back to life because when – what was it, 17 carries, 23 yards or something in the first half against maybe the best rushing defense? That can't be a fluke. The effort they were playing with, their, their run fits, I think they're just trying to figure things out. They have a couple new players, and they had an issue with run defense in their Super Bowl year in the middle a couple years ago while they were learning Averill, they were learning Bennett. They learned Tony McDaniel that year. So it's sometimes these things take time, but once they get the fits down, I think they're going to be back to normal. Yeah. Um, one thing I, I want to tag on to that as you're talking, Jeff, it kind of yeah. jogged my memory is uh, one, you're absolutely right. The first half, I mean, they were playing lights out. That was finally the disruptive defense that I was hoping to see. They were making contact. They were establishing line of scrimmage on the Titans side of the line. They were disrupting run um, lanes and caught causing running backs to have to stop in their tracks and redirect. Like, that's what I want to see from this defense. And so the fact that they did that, you know, says a lot. I would also say that I don't know that I buy that they got tired or all those other excuses that we're giving them. I, I'm giving them as well. I think that they maybe they had some run fit mistakes, new guys, whatever. I think it was more in this game, Tennessee's damn good. And yeah. to Nathan's point, I saw fantastic blocking. I thought I saw tight ends that were, you know, into linebackers and creating holes. I saw receivers and, and the offensive line making fantastic blocks that our players just couldn't get off. And so um, I was super impressed. I was impressed before the game about the Titans run game. I left, you know, at least that impressed. And, uh, so I think that's real too. I don't think I would assume that if they played the Titans again in three weeks, that all of a sudden that they would, you know, just totally dominate the Titans run game. Um, I think that's a. Uh, it's, that's definitely hard to argue. That's I said earlier, I'm jealous of that team. I love how they use Delaney Walker. I love how they scheme that touchdown in there. Our backup tight end, Janu Smith was a perfect play. Oh, I love... that, that guy, I was more jealous of him. Then I was Delaney Walker. I was like, yeah, you know, I knew Walker going in was a you know good receiver and a tough blocker. 
but their backup tight end, I mean, he made some of the better blocks in that game. Um, so I don't have anybody too. like that. They had three tight ends. Superna, I believe his name was, who was throwing blocks down the field. The receivers were blocking down the field. It was they were so in unison. And yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. We said earlier, Tennessee is a really good team. That's kind of what Seattle used to look like in the early Marshawn era, and when they had Zach Miller here. And that's it's a really well built team, and they're going to be good for a long time. I think they're going to be a Super Bowl caliber team once they get more defensive talent. Okay, moving on here, sticking with the defensive line. We briefly touched on this earlier, but there was so much hype when the Sheldon Richardson trade happened. If everyone thought, and reasonably, that this pass rushing unit would be maybe the most defensive dominant front in football. They looked like that in the first half of the opener in Green Bay. They totally disrupted Aaron Rodgers. He couldn't do anything. Since then, they've been absolutely quiet. Do you believe they'll the question buy or sell, they're going to bounce back and prove up to their hype, or is this just not going to work? I'm buying. Uh, they they were great uh, in that Green Bay game. Uh, they were great uh, in the first half of the Tennessee game. Um, I don't know if we're not giving the Niners much credit here. I mean, they held that team to nine points, and um, I mean that's a problem. You got to fix that. Uh, but I thought they looked good there. Um, they're not putting up five, six X a game, um, which is, you know, probably something they're capable of, but something that we shouldn't be expecting. Um, and, you know, this offense is not giving them any help in that regard. Um, both, and this goes back to the, the run defense too. Uh, if this offense gets up and get up on a team, if they can get up 10 points on a team, watch out. You know, if you can get after a quarterback that you know has to pass, that changes everything. And you can you can get offenses opposing offenses away from running the ball too. Um, and so that just changes the entire dimension of the game. Um, so they're doing this one hand tied behind their back. And um, there's definitely been some bad in there, um, but there's been a whole lot of good. Too talented to not to not be a dominant unit. <laughs> Yeah, uh, so I think those are great points and something I, I think I should probably give more credence to on the um, situational impact of, of score on, on the pass rush. Um, <laughs> I'm apologizing, Jeff. I will say that I am, I am buying that the pass rush is going to improve. Um, I don't know if that's the right, right one here, but uh, – yeah. Honestly, that's more hopeful than based on anything I've seen. I don't like what I've seen so far in the pass rush. I think Cliff Averill has not been disruptive. I don't think that uh, Sheldon Richardson has been anywhere near the factor that I expected him to be. Um, I think Michael Bennett's been doing okay. I think Flake Clark has been doing okay. Um, but losing, winning, tied – Great defensive lines like that are meant to be disruptive, you know, if not at all times, you know, regularly. And they weren't close in Tennessee. They were actually bringing extra guys, sometimes, you know, six guys, and they were not getting home or even really getting close to getting home. So, you know, I, I do have in the back of my mind this concern, like the Seahawks pass rush, a lot of people give credit to the fact that they got um, – 
you know, Michael Bennett and, and Cliff Averill and that changed everything. I feel like Dan Quinn, um, is a huge factor, you know, he's a huge factor on that team and coaching the defensive line and what he brings. And when he left, I'm just not sure that they've been able to recreate the same kind of um, play calls or scheming or teaching or whatever. Um, and I think they should be getting more out of this line than we've seen for sure. Yeah. If there's one area I've been the most disappointed with the team especially the last two weeks, it's definitely been this group. They just When you give up a, a kind of pick for Sheldon Richardson with the talent they already have, I know the offensive tackles in San Francisco are really good. The right tackle is really highly graded by pro football focus. I don't know if everyone knows Trent Brown, but he's had a really good start to the season. And I know the tackles are great in Tennessee, but they got guards and centers that our players should be able to beat one-on-one. With Frank Clark and Michael Bennett and Cliff Averill, I know they're playing a ton of snaps right now because they don't have maybe the kind of depth they did a couple years back. David Bass is already gone. They brought in Smith to be more of a run stuffer. But Sean Richardson, I, I, I'm with you. I, I expected it's still early, still learning, but I haven't seen enough of him penetrating into the backfield and dominating the interior of the pocket. The first game, I, I thought he was fantastic. He was drawing double teams. He was taking them on. He was opening up holes. He drew two holding penalties. I know these guys need more time at home. Their, their, their speed off the edge and their speed up the middle is a big difference, but I think they had one total pressure last week, if I'm correct, and I think it was Garrison Smith on five snaps. I know Tennessee had a great line. I just mentioned it, but they need to be better. They need to be dominant. There's so much money, and they're such an important part to how they, this team plays. I'm buying that they do get better because they can't get worse than what they were last week, but I'm, I've been really disappointed. These guys – need to be better. There's too much talent. There's too much money. And there's too much skill. And I know that some of their guys are older, but when you have got those four guys on a defensive line against a Brian Hoyer, you got to, you got to affect the passer. And I, I, I expect them to see it against Jacoby Brissett this week against a weaker offensive line, but I, I need these guys to be better and to be fast. Okay. Moving on. Let's, let's go to the offense here. We haven't touched on that in this segment. CJ Procise being out for the being out for again. We're all sick of these injuries. We all had big expectations for him. And you see the flashes. You saw that deep ball down the field at the end of the first half that really keyed that drive. Is the team that much worse off without Procise? Buy or sell? Nathan, I know can you touched on this on Twitter. Sell on, on CJ Procise? Yeah, we can we can do it. Overall, we can do it. CJ process buy or sell. Let's change it. I'm a buy. You know, I, I don't, I don't get why everyone's so like, yes, the guy gets hurt a lot and that sucks. And, um, you know, maybe he, he doesn't, he doesn't pan out, but when the guy's been healthy, he's made a play in almost every single game. You don't sell those guys. You know, you, you, you waited out. He was a third round pick last year. It wasn't like four years ago and he's just been screwing it up this whole time. He's had, he's had injury issues, and there's no doubt that's a major concern. I wouldn't build my franchise around him or count on him, but I'm not getting rid of the guy. Um, and, you know, maybe if J.D. McKissick comes in and he does what ProSize was doing and more and he's durable, then maybe you sell. But um, I'm not in any rush to get rid of C.J. ProSize. Yeah, I mean, there's no, no reason to be looking to get rid of him. Um, 
I'm a little mixed on him overall. Um, he's definitely done some good stuff catching the ball. Um, but he's not been a particularly good runner. Um, so, and, and this team, for better or worse, likes to run. Um, and I think he's probably left some yards out on the field there. Um, nothing, nothing, nothing Eddie Lacy-like, uh, but he's not great there. Um, so, you know, definitely don't want to get rid of him. I'm buying him for the rest of his rookie contract. Um, but I don't know how much his absence will hurt the team. Um, and I don't know what he's really going to become when he fully kind of develops. Yeah, I, I think you have to use him just purely in a specialized role because you can't count on him as an every-down player. He's not durable. He's not physically built enough to do it. And when he's being used in a specialized role, it's perfect. You see how New England uses those third-down backs and they move guys around and they have so many different guys. That's probably the best use for him at this point based on how much he can stay in the field. And Unfortunately, it's a, it's a lot to ask from a third-round pick because you're expecting more of an every-down player, more of a regular contributor. But the health issues are just overshadowing all the talent. And I'm not selling the guy. You got him on your rookie deal. You might as well keep him. But this is getting this is getting to the point where it's just like every time he gets injured, I'm almost rolling my eyes. I think, I think we're all feeling that way. Yeah. You know, if, if you want a little glimmer of hope there, it's that there's some time to, to – train this offseason but it wouldn't shock me at all if he realizes again that he's got to change his regimen what he's eating how he's training that comes back next offseason more durable you know like that does happen that guys learn along the way that you know three or four or five year veterans make those types of changes um sometimes and maybe he'll do that and 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 if he is durable if he becomes durable i don't think anyone has problems with how he's producing when he's in there i mean he's definitely made difference so um yeah all right how about this one we we've we haven't talked too much on the offensive line and pretty much i have pro football focus grades all the players right now 72nd of 72nd i think capable tackles or qualified tackles is reese odiombo i know he's at a position probably he was not expected to start george fan was Buy or sell, the team should replace Odiamba left tackle with maybe Tobin or maybe Jokel and move it around. Buy or sell, that they should replace him in the starting lineup. Bye. Hurry up and take my money. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, it's the same thing with Glow and Abushi. Like, why not try it? Are you how how much worse are you really gonna get? Um, I don't see any reason for this team not to be throwing something up against the wall there. Um, I, I hope Isaiah Battle's getting, you know, a run at it. Like it's, it's, a, it's really bad. And uh, unless you're trying to save face on a third round pick, which I'm not insinuating this team would ever do. Uh, <laughs> I think that's what you are doing. <laughs> there's no reason to continue to, you know, pencil him in as a, as a starter. I mean, he may earn it, and, and that just may be where they are. Um, and I don't think we'll ever really know on that, but uh should be trying everything. Um, I'm selling. Um, I, I think that 
You asked Nathan, what, what do they have to lose? Well, they played three snaps without Reese Nambo um, on Sunday. Matt Tobin came in, and in those three snaps, he gave up a hit on the quarterback. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and Matt Tobin got the worst pass blocking grade that Pro Football Focus has ever given a player uh, when he was playing guard for the Eagles. So perfect Seahawk. Um, exactly. <laughs> uh, the perfect Seahawk left tackle. Yeah. So you know it can get worse, as as bad as we might think it is. I think that Isaiah Battle, you know, I'm not holding out any hope for that. Now, if you want to up level it to, hey. Are the Texans going to get desperate to move Dwayne Brown because he doesn't want to play for them? And, you know, should the Seahawks absolutely consider mortgaging some things and putting themselves in a bad spot to do it? Yes. Yeah, buy on that. I can buy on that. <laughs> yes, they should. Um, I think that old Seahawks fans will remember a time back in the Holmgren era when um, the Seahawks signed a right tackle, and his name was Chris Perry, I believe. Um, yeah. Uh, they already had Walter Jones on left side and Steve Hutchinson, but when they added Perry, it changed everything. Just like the whole offense took off. And you can't underestimate the value of having at least one spot on the line. On, you know, one end on tackle, locked down that you don't have to worry about. And you, you know, that you can just then scheme and move your protection, slide it towards the side that isn't as strong and do other things. But if both sides are having trouble, it's really hard to scheme around that. So um, I think it's a red alert. I think that, you know, you go out and you, you see what you can do to get a Dwayne Brown. I don't think it's likely, but I would definitely do it. I don't think anyone in this thread or in this chat would argue that at all because to get a pro. Uh, yeah, okay, maybe take know it away. Let's go. I don't know if I'm trading Jimmy is all. Like, yeah, get Dwayne okay. Brown. Uh, absolutely. He's a good football player. I don't know about trading Jimmy. Not uh, for a, a left tackle, huh? Nah, I mean, like, middle of the year. Like, he hasn't, like, he's not even playing. What kind of shape is awesome. he in? Great. Uh, I mean, Dwayne Brown every burger in In and Out, like Houston uh, outlet, and not gotten out of his chair for six months, he would be a better left tackle than what the Seahawks have right now. You know that's true. Well, that's not saying much. Yeah, (laughs) (laughs) it's a really low bar, dude. dude. I mean. Like, like, there's like the little mice can step over this bar. That's how low it is. Yeah, it's just it'd be the reverse Graham trade all over again. I would love every second of it. I just don't see it happening. I, I'm with the Nathan's probably right. It's probably just not realistic at this point in the season. But just the idea of replacing Odiambo with Brown, and even though from Jimmy to maybe Luke Wilson's a massive drop off. I think that move at left tackle would make you so much better in so many ways. I don't know why it's so unrealistic. And yes, I'm not, I'm not in the know, but um, 
He's played in a, a zone blocking scheme his whole career. It's not like he'd be changing from like a, a man block and power scheme to, to zone. And, um, you know, oh, it's realistic from Seattle's point of view. I just don't know if it is from Houston's. No, I was just saying, like, there's, there's Nathan, I think, you know, talked about in the past that, you know, he'd have to adjust the team midseason and would he be able to pick up the, you know, the offense. And the cable zone is not your typical zone. <laughs> Wait, you mean that he's going to have to teach him how to block his own players? Is that what you're implying? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I don't know. Maybe it's realistic. It's definitely more realistic for Seattle than than Houston. Yeah. I don't know if Houston can try to incorporate a – but, I mean, you know, if you're Houston, you can maybe get Jimmy Graham for your – for Deshaun Watson to, to throw to you. That's not all bad either. Yeah. Yeah, All right. Give, give, give Dwayne Watts uh, his his new uh, the new quarterback uh, a key target to add to DeAndre Hopkins. It makes perfect sense. All right. Let's get let's get Rick Smith, the GM of the Texans, on here and sell him on this. This this kind of makes sense. Hammer it out. All right. Just to, to wrap up this segment, we'll end off on one more. And I don't want to spend too much time on the the Richard Sherman three penalty thing, mm-hmm. but I I think I imagine we'd all have probably strong opinions on that but to me the more interesting thing was cam chancellor's comments after the game that all the bickering that they've done maybe it was from sherman's hit on the sideline of Mariota too that led to a little kerfuffle but the team's wasting energy bickering with the other team it's her he mentioned the same thing after the playoff loss to atlanta last year they've had their issues when adversity hits they get chippy and they do you buy that concept or is that kind of nonsense to you it's kind of nonsense to me. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, uh, I, I'm always a little skeptical of those things. I will say about those three penalties, I thought every one of them was total crap. That PI was crap. Uh, the holding, I didn't see it. And then to get the the penalty for taking his helmet off when he thought the, they were coming off the field, it was ridiculous. Uh so I thought Sherm was uh, in the right to go off like that. People make a big deal about that stuff, but, you know, I mean, this is this is a team. They're passionate. They're fiery. Um, maybe it's a problem. If Cam says it's a problem, I'm willing to listen. And, and you know, uh, if he says he knows that locker room a lot better than I do, for sure. Um, but I'm skeptical that, that that's really – that that was what hurt them. I, I I like Homer Nathan. I don't think we've had Homer Nathan on yet. He's always like Tell me guy. any of those calls were good. <laughs> yeah. He took out his Tell me any of those calls were good. <laughs> that's a hundred percent. A hundred out of a hundred times, a thousand out of a thousand, that's gonna be a penalty. Unless maybe it's Tom Brady, then they're probably not him a penalty. But uh yeah, but he's he, not the yeah, he deserved that. <laughs> I actually thought that the it wasn't shock to me to see the PI. I understand why Sherm didn't agree with that call and feels like he was in the position. He had his hands on receiver. I've seen far less be called. Um, you know, even before I saw that the flag had been thrown, I, I saw that happening and I was like waiting to see if a flag was going to get thrown. So it wasn't a huge shock to me. I definitely didn't see a hold. I don't know what the hell that call was. I mean, his hands were in the frame. He, he pancaked the receiver, like whatever, but Anyway, to, to your to your question, um, Jeff, I don't think Cam was really talking about energy and whether that's really what's going on here, and that it wastes energy. And 
I think he was basically saying like enough, like you're, you're hurting the team. You're not helping. Um, it's really, really what it comes down to. It's, it's, it's him focusing on what he wants and what he needs to get off his chest and you know, his, whether he was wrong um, as opposed to just making sure the team's taken care of. And there's no one who, who respects Richard more than I do. You know, uh, I know he, what kind of person he is and um he's smart he's talented he's you know he's focused he's elo- you know he's eloquent um but he also i don't think has ever been wrong in his entire life and <laughs> i know other guys that thing and so i know people like that as well like i think it's a personality flaw and i the way I would hope for, you know, employees I have and kids and other stuff that I've been kind of responsible for at times, you know, I, I hope for him to grow past that um, and to find a way to, to express himself without needing to always win the argument. Um, you know, it's not a win-loss kind of thing in, in some of those situations. So um, I think he's got, I think he's got some growth left and I think he's hurting the team and how he's handling those things. I think he's not helping himself. And um, yeah. I, I, His I helpers, understand why teammates are frustrated. Yeah, but like I feel like it's easy to see the three penalties and think that they were somehow related to his outbursts. His outbursts wasn't related weren't related to the penalties at all. Um the PI, which was uh, I get why they called it. It was a bad call. Yeah, the holding, okay. Um, and then he took his helmet off, which, I, you know, yeah, you can't do that, I guess. I, I understand why he did it. Um, point. He took his helmet off because he thought the play was over, and then he saw the flags and said, how? Um, so all that penalty yardage, yardage that they gave up didn't have anything to do with him going after the ref afterwards. And maybe going after the ref afterwards exerted some en- uh, energy, uh, but you know, they came back to him, they came at him two plays later and, but that was the smallest of windows that Mario to fit that ball into. Like I, I thought for sure Sherm had it. I was shocked that he wasn't able to break that up. Um, and then, and the defense stiffened and I think they only gave up a field goal, right? They didn't give up a touchdown on that drive, did they? No, no. I, I, I mean, I don't know you guys, but when Charles Davis was like, they should go at him right now when he's not in focus. Like, oh, I was like, no, yes, I please do it. do it. Yeah, they don't know Sherm very well, do they? Now is the time. He will pick off the ball if you go after him right now. Like, 100%. That is not who Sherman is. He had a, he had a pass breakup right after that, I remember. And because people on Twitter who don't maybe don't see Sherman every week were going crazy. And they're like, oh, Richard being a thug again. And I'm like rolling my eyes, can't take it anymore. He breaks up a pass, and I don't know. I, I love it. I love what Sherman does. I love how mad he gets people and how frustrated he is and how people go crazy over his antics. I don't know. He's the kind of guy you just love having on your team, and maybe if he's on a different team, we might see it differently. But I just love I, I love his passion. I totally agreed with him, too. Maybe you don't take off your helmet there because it's against the rules, but you see me in softball when the ump screws up the call. I'm screaming at the umps. I'm yelling in their face. And if I'm an NFL player and they screw up two calls that change an interception, I can't criticize the guy because I'm not the best with umps and refs. So I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to give it, I'm going to give Sherm the okay on this one. But I think, uh, I think we want to move on from this right now. I think that was a pretty interesting segment. We all agreed on most stuff, but 
we've been on for a while now, and I think we want to shift the conversation to this week's game. The Colts are coming to town without Andrew Luck. On paper, they have maybe one of the younger rosters. They're going through a rebuild, and in terms of talent, they're one of the least talented teams in the league, mostly due to a inept run of drafting, which well, I'm not going to waste our time on right now. Executive Let's stick on the Seahawks perspective. I can rip on the Colts for hours. I got a lot of material on them. But what, what, what's the number one thing you want to see this week? More than anything, whether it's the offensive line, whether it's Russell, whether it's Chris Carson or the pass rush, what's the number one thing you need to see for you to feel good about where this team's progressing? I'm too greedy to do one. I'm going to be a one and a 1A. I want to see Russell continuing where he left off last week. I don't want to see any interruption. I just want to see him start the game and play a full Russell Wilson game um, through and through. That's number one. One A is I want to see a pass rush that gets home. Like those two things. I'd be super happy. I just want to see a consistent game from start to finish. Um, You know, that Niner game, you take a couple of the drops back, turn a couple of those field goals into touchdowns, they probably end up winning that game something, you know, low 20s to nine. Um, nothing crazy, nothing overly dominant. They don't need to put up 50, although they should be able to do that. Um, I just want to see him come out. You know, I want to see Russell stay consistent. I mean, he's the way they play offense is always going to be a little herky-jerky, but, you know, Seahawks offense, pass rush get after it a little bit. Don't, you know, if they could if they could not let Gore rip off a 40-yard run, that'd be fantastic. Just go out and play a good four quarters of football. Yeah, I would love to see the Seahawks just beat the crap out of some team. I don't know if that's the best term, but I just remember that Monday night game against the Saints a couple of years ago and that Super Bowl run where you just realize the Seahawks are just way more talented. They're way more physical than, just than their opponent. I don't know if they have that in them like they did with New Orleans, but I just want to see what Nathan said. Start to finish, just show we're a lot better than these guys. And not, none of us have much hair left, and I've, probably from watching all these stressful Seahawks games the last Pete Carroll years. And I'm just tired of these games where it's a roller coaster. It's 6-3 at halftime, and you're waiting for the fourth quarter for them to get out of these holes that they've created. I want to see them just roll through a team. And this is the kind of team you would. you got a, you got a backup quarterback. you got really no – dominant defensive interior rushers, no outside edge rushers. Other than T.Y. Hilton, there's really no dominant players on this team that should really blow these guys up. I just want to see Seattle enforce their will on someone because they're too talented to be straggling around every week. Amen, brother. They, uh, if they don't do that. <laughs> yeah, that's when the alarms uh, come out it's gonna be frustrating so um yeah and look i think the colts the colts have more going for them than than people realize i think jacoby Brissett's a decent player i think that um ty hilton's definitely a good receiver yeah the the run defense for the colts has been better than people maybe give them credit for jonathan hankins jabal sheard has been all right i don't think they have any great players on defense vonta davis is going to be back this week He's been injured. He's their cornerback. Was not great last year. Has been really good in years past. Um, the Seahawks likely, if they're not without Doug Baldwin, he's going to be hampered. Uh, they haven't really had to play without their number one receiver in a long time. Uh, Tyler Lockett has not yet looked like Tyler Lockett yet, from my point of view. Um, 
you know, maybe he's just not getting the chance, but like in 2015, before he, you know, went second half of that season, he was almost as unguardable as, as Baldwin. And uh, he was just such a key part of that offense um, being explosive and need to get back to him. Um, I like what I've seen from Paul Richardson. I'd like to see more. And, and so, you know, he's been, I think a bright spot. Jimmy got started, but can he do it again? Um, I don't know. I, I think, I think there's, there's, there's a lot of questions, more questions than answers, unfortunately for the Seahawks. And, uh, as much as I want to see the dominant game, I don't know that the team's ready to dominate anybody quite yet. I, I hope I'm wrong. Okay, how about this before we end? One player you want to see step up this week. How about that? Let's all three of us go around. Steel Bryans, I like, uh, I'd love to see Luckett show up. Um, he's a favorite of mine. Um, he's been quiet so far. Uh, and he's right. If he's playing right and this offense is right and Russ is, can, and Russ is hitting him, I mean, he can be pretty incredible. Um, uh It'd be great to see him show up again. Yeah. Uh, I guess for me, the guy would be Sheldon Richardson. We've mentioned the pass rusher bunch on the show. They don't have a great center. They don't have great guards in Indianapolis. I want to see Sheldon Richardson just manhandle an offensive line. And I want to see him just all over the pass rush, in the backfield all game, hitting Frank Gore. I just want to see Sheldon Richardson take over a game because he's that kind of talent and you don't give up a second round pick for a guy in a last year of a deal for him to just be okay. You want to see dominance. And that's, that's what I want to see. I want to see Tyler Ott have the game. Yeah. Of the <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm going to, I'm going to give you one and then I'm going to give you some others. My number one, uh, I'll go with JD McKissick. I would love to see someone who you haven't seen in action, get thrown in, and then be an impact player because it can totally change the way your season rolls out. And well, preseason when McKissick was especially in a running back role of being a you know game breaking kind of player, someone that can add some real spice to the way your your offense runs. So, Anson, I, I hope he ends up fulfilling you know some of that promise. Other few people that I'd throw in there that maybe like off the end path. Don Ryan, um, I think the guy – I get a lot of heat for, for bringing up that I think he's been in decline for a while and um, has not been the same punter. Um, I think that they should have been bringing in competition for a long time, younger, cheaper, let them spend money elsewhere. I don't know why they haven't done that. They bring, brought in competition for kicker, but they seem to not feel the need to do that at all at punter. And, um, um, and he's had some really good puns, but I think he's also had some pretty painful ones. And um, uh, I'd like to see him him kind of get back to it. Um, and then, uh, uh, darn it, there's one more guy. Well, I'll just say Shaq Griffin because I always want him to have a good game. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, yeah, those are all great picks. And I think there's so many guys on this team that – they're still so interesting, you know? They're, just, they're such a, Yeah, they're just such a deep team. There's so many interesting players, so many interesting personalities. And we all expect more than what we've seen in these first three games. They're just – they've been a below-average team in so many ways. And I know you mentioned a couple areas they have been okay, but 
they're they're so much better than this. We 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 were thinking all Super Bowl after that preseason, after the way they look, they look back to the way those 2013, 14 teams, and they've been nothing close to that since the season started. And if there's any game to get them going at home in prime time against an inferior team, it's got to be this week. It just has to because they got a big game coming up. They got a big game in the NFC West coming up. And the Rams look pretty good. They do. So we'll have a chance Rams. to talk about them next week. And um, it'll be interesting. I think tomorrow – they play tomorrow night? No, no, no. It's tomorrow's – no, they play They play Dallas on Sunday. Yeah, they play Dallas on Sunday. That'll be an interesting one. But, uh, yeah, there's only one undefeated team in the NFC right now. It's the Atlanta Falcons, and you can argue they shouldn't be undefeated mm-hmm. um, based on how that, that Lions game ended. And there's a lot of parity going on right now. So – that's a benefit the Seahawks have. I don't tend to look around. I tend to look at how the Seahawks are playing. Um, I think the Seahawks could easily be 0-3. And, you know, that's that's real. And we have to kind of face that and know where we are, as a, you know, where they are as a team. But I also still believe they have more talent in their starting lineup than, you know, any other, any other team. And so – and they've been there before. And they have amazing men on that team, both in the co- – coaching staff and on the field and they've shown time and again that they've been able to climb out of holes. So uh, let's hope this is as deep as this hole gets. And uh, we're talking about building skyscrapers um, coming up here real soon. Yeah. Okay, Uh, guys. I think think that's it for the night. Um, Thank you, Nathan, for doing it as always and Jeff for hosting and uh, thanks everyone for joining uh, online and, and in the chat, we'll definitely keep doing these Q&As. We're going to get some more guests back on. Appreciate you guys hanging with us. Uh, I know it's been a crazy couple of weeks for me, so it's been a little harder to plan for these things. Keep trying to have them Tuesday nights as much as possible, and, and uh, where need be, we'll move them around. But um, um, Sign up at patreon.com slash hawkblogger. Be a patron. Uh, support our sponsors. And I'd be irresponsible if I didn't tell you, Monday through Friday, Buy an 11-inch Pagliacci pizza. Get a second one for free if you use the code HawkBlogger. Monday through Thursday, that's going to happen for most of the season. Um, we may change up the deal, but a crazy deal um, for some really good pizza. So make sure you, you take advantage of that. All right, guys. Don't forget to subscribe. Oh, subscribe. Thank you, dude. Subscribe to the friggin' YouTube channel, of course. Um, yeah, please do that. Click it down there. Yeah. All right. Good night, everyone. All right, Jeff, Nathan, talk to you later. Thanks for tuning in. Want some more great Seahawks talk? Head over to the Pedestrian Podcast and hear great discussion from a fun group of British Seahawks fans. That's right. They're Brits. It's worth it for the accents alone. Stuart Court, Adam Nathan, and Ross Bell host the official podcast of the UK Seahawkers. You can find them at thepedestrianpodcast.podbean.com or on iTunes. It's a jolly good show.